Good morning and welcome to the Carolina Cabinet. My name is Nat Robertson and I will be your host as we discuss the news and the newsmakers. We're going to play a little bit of music and talk to you and and talk about the movers and shakers around Fayetteville and Cumberland County and today around the state of North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your warning. This is a conservative talk show and may not be what you hear on other stations. In fact, it may be offensive to those on the left. Our mission is to bring to the airwaves a common-sense voice on the right side of the issues. This morning, we have Miss Susan Mills. Good morning, sunshine. Good morning, Mr. Jimmy Henley Jr. Good morning, all. Good morning, sir. And Mr. J. Antoine Minor. Good morning. I'm trying to sound like Jimmy. <laughs> I was going to say, where's your old? There we go. There we go. All right. So uh, hang out with us, and um, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Since 2012, Joshua Goodman has been the senior pastor at the Cliffdale Christian Center, a dynamic church and ministry located in West Fayetteville. Join our friend Pastor Goodman for a podcast or a live sermon in person at 6427 Cliffdale Road. Now for today's good news. Here is Joshua Goodman. Good morning from the All-American City. This is Pastor Joshua Goodman, and have I got some good news for you today. In a time when so many want to unpack, they want to talk about, they want to discuss all of the problems, circumstances, situations, all of the negative stuff, I'm going to give you some good news. Here it is, friends. The numbers continue to get better and better. The masks are starting to come off just in time for summer. Fayetteville pools are again opening on May 31st at the Goodman House for the past few weeks. We've been planting our garden, putting in the tomatoes and the uh, peppers, cucumbers and okra. I absolutely am never amazed that my tomato plants, hear me now, never amazed that my tomato plants bring forth tomatoes. I'm not amazed by the fact that my pepper plants bring forth peppers or my cucumber plants bring forth cucumbers. This is the law of nature that God put into effect in the Garden of Eden. People make people. Animals, animals, birds, birds, fish, fish, produce, produce of all kinds. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are like ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. We know this, and it makes sense that corn makes corn, tomatoes, tomatoes, cucumbers, cucumbers. I have a quick story for you. Two years ago, 
we had a bumper crop of tomatoes. I mean, we ate all the tomatoes we could eat, and then we started giving them out to people in the churches. They ate all the tomatoes they could eat, and we still had more tomatoes. Listen, the reason why I bring that up is this, is because that which is fed well, is tended well, is given water to, will produce in great abundance. The moral to that story is this. Number one, that trees we plant will produce in kind for good or for evil. The plants that we feed and we tend, that we care for, will produce in abundance, keeping in mind that that's both for the good and for the evil. Today, let's get discernment to plant good trees throughout our life. A kind word here, maybe giving a gift there. Also today, let's feed and tend the good plants in our life, the faith, the courage, the kindness, the strength. This is Pastor Joshua Goodman with your good news. Conservative Talk Radio in Eastern North Carolina. You're listening to the Carolina Cabinet. This is the morning show your daddy wanted you to listen to. Good morning, good morning Welcome to another episode of the Carolina Cabinet uh, Today we are honored to have on the phone with us The current president of the John Williams Pope Foundation Mr. John Hood Give you a little information about Mr. Hood John Hood is president of the John William Pope Foundation A Raleigh-based Grant maker that supports public policy organizations, educational institutions, arts and cultural programs, and humanitarian relief. John Hood also served as chairman of the board at the John Locke Foundation from 2015 to 2021. Since 1986, John Hood has written a syndicated column on politics and public policy for several North Carolina newspapers. It currently appears regularly in the Winston-Salem Journal, Greensboro News and Record, Raleigh News and Observer, Asheville Citizens Times, Wilmington Star News, and newspapers in 70 other communities. Mr. Hood serves as a weekly panelist on... NC Spin, a political talk show broadcast statewide on both UNC TV and commercial radio stations, and teaches at Duke University's Stanford School of Public Policy. Mr. Hood received his BA in journalism from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He earned a master's in liberal studies and a graduate certificate in nonprofit management from UNC Greensboro. Mr. Hood currently serves on the UNC Chapel Hill Board of Visitors. He is a Mecklenburg County native and currently resides in Wake County with his wife, two sons, and a stepdaughter. Welcome to the Carolina Cabinet, yeah. Mr. John. Welcome, Hood. John. Thank you very much. Welcome. After that introduction, what else you got to say? I think I'm going to leave the room. I don't belong here. <laughs> I'm so intimidated. <laughs> North Carolina has, believe it or not, something in the neighborhood of $10 billion extra dollars. Wow. wow. Amazing. Did you say billion wow. with a B? 
I did say billion with a B. Now that's some of it's federal, some of it is money that they have stored that the General Assembly wisely stored. Uh, John, this is Jimmy. I, I just want you to break out your crystal ball for me for a moment, and let's look into 2022. And tell me, where do you think North Carolina is going to be? Are we going to get redder or bluer? Or how, how do you feel about or 22? Or purple. <laughs> purpler. Purpler. Yeah, we're fairly purple right now. Um, the, 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 the interesting thing about that question is that if, if we were having this discussion 20 years ago, I would be saying, you know, North Carolina is getting redder. And it's getting redder because of all these people moving to North Carolina from other places. Because back then, back in the 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s, people who were moving to the state were more likely to be Republican than people who were native to the state. Mm -hmm. This was a traditionally Democratic state, and that doesn't even just mean like conservative Democratic state. It was just a traditionally Democratic state. Lots of people were moving here from New Jersey and Illinois and Pennsylvania and New York, upper, upstate New York, and they've been Republicans all their lives. Right. And there was a moment in the 90s where I literally did this. I drove from Charlotte to Raleigh on I-85, stopped at every county to, to meet the Republican chairman <laughs> of that county. Hmm. Every single one of them was a Yankee. Every <laughs> <laughs> Imports. <laughs> so, but that's not true today, because in the last 10 to 20 years, it's flipped around, so natives are more likely to be Republican-leaning, and newcomers are more likely to be a little bit Democratic-leaning. Mm -hmm. So... Natural, it's sort of, if, if it was a just a natural flow, like water going, waves coming in and out, you would expect the Democrats to get a little bit, a little bit safer, right. a little bit more, uh, a little bit better positioned every few years. The thing about that is, though, is that the Democrats have tried desperately to lose this advantage <laughs> because they have embraced ideas <laughs> that are such turnoffs mm -hmm. to people who are in the, the, the sort of swing area. And people sometimes say, well, swing voters don't matter anymore because everybody is red or blue, and it's all about turning out your team. I'm here to tell you that that is not accurate. It's certainly not true in North Carolina. Yes, the two partisan co coalitions are hot, you know, they 45, 46% of the vote, each right. one of them. But that means that there are several percentage points of voters who are swing voters, and they go back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they split their tickets. Other times they go Democrat, say, in 2012, and then Republican in 2016, and then Democrat in 2018 and 2020, hmm. and some of them will go Republican in 2022. And that's not the vast majority of us are not in that camp, but they are decisive because they still vote and they still turn out. And I think in 2022 they will be leaning Republican for a number of reasons. But the, the <laughs> <laughs> here, 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 <laughs> Hey, that was a a good, long, inform informative answer to get to the answer that I wanted to hear. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that, and it, it worked out. I got a follow up question, uh, if, if you would, because you said something just now, and I just want to uh, clarify. You said that usually, or the way it is, is that those who are kind of transplanting in are more Democrat-leaning, and those who are more native are uh, Republican or conservative-leaning. My question is, those who are coming in with more uh, liberal and Democratic views, once they kind of settle in, 
are they are we seeing a trend where those who who may have had Democrat and liberal views when they got here, where they're now starting to transition to conservative and more Republican views? There are some cases where that is true, and it is particularly true on a couple of issues, I'm convinced. One of them that's been going on for some time is what we talked about earlier, which is fiscal conservatism. Uh, when people get here and they came from, say, California or Illinois in particular, uh, or New York State, they are pleasantly surprised that the budget is not a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in particular, that the pension fund is actually funded. So if you were a public employee or married to a public employee, in a place like Illinois, you're quite nervous that maybe your pension will never really pay out everything that's supposed to pay out to you. And in North Carolina, they don't worry about that. But the other issue that's more proximate that's happening right now is law and order. This is something that just torpedoed Democrats in North Carolina last year, and many of the Democrats I know absolutely would admit this privately, that as soon as the protests last summer started to shade in some places into riots and into property destruction, even here in North Carolina, and of course Fayetteville was a clear classic example of what happened and the damage that occurred, once that started to happen, uh, Democrats who were associated with the def- defund the police or even just police reform type stuff, they started to see changes in their polling. They started to see voters becoming more and more concerned about crime and disorder. That's still a problem for Democrats, sure. and they know it, and they don't really know what to do about it. But it is a problem for them, and it's going to be one of the issues. I think it was a very important issue in 2020, not just in the upper ballot races but down the ballot. I think it's one of the reasons the Republicans did so well in judicial races in 2020, because when people start to worry about crime and disorder, uh, they tend to want to have tougher judges. Mm-hmm. And they tend to assume Republicans will be the tougher on crime judges, which is generally true. Right. Uh, and I think it also helped some of the legislative races that were not as close. Some of the Democrats uh, who had been targeted to potentially win and help change the, you know, tip the balance of the House or the Senate Republicans, they lost, and they didn't even lose by very narrow margins, I think because some of the suburban voters who the Democrats were counting on flipping over to the Democrats were turned off uh, on the issue of crime, which is not to say, by the way, that that these voters aren't concerned about police abuses and they are. They, of course, are concerned about that, but they don't want reforms or responses to that problem to end up basically taking cops off the street and allowing uh, right. allowing disorder and crime. And most most jurisdictions in North Carolina experienced significant upticks in murder hmm. or other crimes in 2020. Hey, John, I, just let me kind of, uh, again, fill in the audience who is in the studio, and then I want to uh, briefly reintroduce you. So we've got Susan Mills in the studio. Uh, everybody knows Susan was a former chair of the Republican Party here in Cumberland County. She's also running for statewide office this time uh, as vice chairman for the state NCGOP. Mr. Jimmy Henley is with us. Jimmy has a long career in law enforcement, uh, currently works for himself as a private investigator. And uh, Mr. J. Antoine Miner is with us, and I don't I'm just I don't know what you do. I'm just here. You're just retired. <laughs> yeah. On the phone with us is uh, Mr. John Hood. Um, uh, I know you, John, because you are a a legend when uh, in conservative politics, and we are so lucky to have you here. 
Uh, I watch you uh, almost every week on NC Spin. What about Catherine Truitt as our new state superintendent? What what rating would you give her um, on her, the job so far? Well, we, we're still not that far into it, so I, I, I'm hopeful on some issues that will take some time to work out. And I will tell you the first thing she did, uh, one of the very, very first and important things she did, which was so important, was her uh, advocacy of the reading uh, changes. Right. Absolutely. Uh, because yep. we have had this fight about how to teach kids how to read for years. And, you know, if you were having this fight back in the 70s, my, my parents were educators, and they were involved in this dispute in the charlotte Blackburg system in the 1970s. And back then, I could give people a pass if they had differences of opinion. Should you have a heavy phonics emphasis? Should you focus more on language and context mm-hmm. and whole language? I will give people a pass if it's 1975 and you're debating that. If it's 2021 and you're still debating that, you're not paying attention because the science of reading is pretty well established now. North Carolina has just adopted a serious attempt to teach reading effectively, and Catherine Truitt is a champion of that policy, which, of course, earned her the wrath of the News and Observer of Raleigh and the, the other left-wing media outlets. Um, and that it is not always the case that if the News and Observer is against you, you're right. But it's usually the case. <laughs> I'm glad glad to hear you say that. I, I'm a big fan of Catherine Truitt, and yep. um, I served on Governor McCrory's GTAC um, commission, and she happened to be over that at the time. So I think she's doing pretty good considering all that she's got to work with. The State Board of Education is predominantly Democrat. So going up against them, I can't even imagine how she handles all of that. No, I think she handles it pretty well. I think she was well prepared to do this role for because of the other things that she'd done before she ran. Awesome. Hey, uh, uh, John, I got a quick question. We got a, a few minutes left, and I want to uh, give some time. I want to talk about um, about 20 years ago, you did something phenomenal. You published your first book. Um, so having done that in 20 years looking back, what can you say is one thing that really sticks out to you about your career as an author? And I do know that uh, you have a new novel. It's called Mountain Folk that's being released in early June. Can you also tell us something you know, uh, about us, uh, about that book that's coming out in June? And tell us you know, what sticks out about your career as an author over the last 20 years. Well, um, it's really been longer than 20 years. I think my first book was in 1996. Hmm. Yeah, that's longer than 20. <laughs> the thing about that is um, book publishing has changed a lot. How mm-hmm. we buy books, how we market books mm-hmm. changed a lot. Authors are really a lot more responsible for getting their, getting their word out about their books than before. People's attention spans are different. because I think they've been programmed by social media to think in little bits and, and bites rather than in longer form things. So it's been a... It's been a change, but one of the things that people predicted years ago that didn't happen is that Americans would stop reading books because hmm. they could watch TV all the time. That's not true. Book, lots of people are still buying books. Right. In fact, more authors are selling more books than ever before. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it does require a lot of a lot of sweat equity, a lot of a lot of real toil on the part of the author. Which I don't I don't mind. I feel like it. I've written eight books now. I feel like if I wrote, write a whole book and then I'm not willing to talk about it for a while, that maybe it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
to talk about it. This new novel, Mountain Folk, is uh, it's my first novel. I've written all nonfiction books until now, and it's a historical fantasy novel. That means it's set during the Revolutionary War. Much of the action occurs in North Carolina, but also in Tennessee and Virginia. And uh, what a historical fantasy means is that Daniel Boone is one of my characters, and George Washington, and a Cherokee heroine named Nancy Ward, and some other actual people. Uh, and, I, and I actually use their real adventures and tell Daniel Boone's exciting tales of the frontier and that sort of thing. But I also have fantasy characters. I have magical creatures of various kinds. And part of what I did is I researched the folklore of different groups that, that settled America or were already living here, and I included a, some Cherokee monsters and some English mm. monsters and wow. that into the story, partly for just fun. I mean, don't you want to read about Daniel Boone fighting a giant fire-breathing salamander? <laughs> I got to tell you, I did not see this coming from you. I figured somehow you were going to tie politics into mountain folk, but... <laughs> Not a, a not a fire-breathing salamander. <laughs> not no. Well, John, can you tell us where, where we can pre-order uh, the book? Because you, you've, you've piqued my interest. So where can we pre-order it? Well, it's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes & Noble. And actually, apparently, Amazon is already selling the actual book. So hmm. go oh. the actual book and read it. I was telling some of my friends, well, you can pre-order it on Amazon. They said, no, it's going to be delivered on May 20th. <laughs> Oops. Surprise. And then they literally sent me pictures on May 20th holding the book. Wow. Wow. I hope you, I hope your royalty check comes out fast, John. Barnes, Barnes & Noble has it, and there'll be some local bookstores. There'll be some book events over time, but you can always go online to the major vendors and buy it. Awesome. Hey, John, I want to do something fun real fast. So uh, uh, let's play uh, a lightning round of, of questions. So if you can answer these in one or two words, uh, l- let's go for it. Tell me what your first car was. It was a 1973 Blue Cadillac. Oh, nice. That's sweet. I think it was a piece of junk. <laughs> <laughs> your favorite movie? Uh, that would have to be John Carter, a Disney adventure movie set on Mars. Your city of birth? Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh. Uh, your favorite food? Sausage. Interesting. Who you like better, me or Nat? Oh. Ooh. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> it's determined by which one of you gives me the spiciest sausage. <laughs> oh, that's Antoine, so yeah. Uh, Red wine or white wine? Neither. I'm a teetotaler. Oh, very nice. Uh, who do you follow on social media that would surprise us? Um, I'm not sure that I would surprise you with that particular one. Um, Tom Hanks, maybe. Oh, very good. Uh, who's your favorite ball team? Um... Whichever team my wife likes. <laughs> good smart, answer. Smart man. Good answer. Definitely smart a politician. <laughs> what was your high school GPA? Oh, it was uh, just shy of four. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your least favorite celebrity? Hmm. Uh, I'd go with the cast. I'd go with the current cast of Saturday Night Live. Oh. Oh, good. I would agree with that. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, they're just not very funny. 
Not anymore, no. they're not. Not anymore. No. Nope. Hey, John, thank you so much for joining us. We thank have you. John Hood thank on the you. telephone. He has called in, and uh, we certainly uh, certainly appreciate you and the time that you've given us, and uh, we'll keep up with you. Uh, you are on social media as well, and um, gosh, just Google John Hood. That'll that'll tell you. And his Google. Cadillac. Absolutely. And his Cadillac, that's right. <laughs> and his book. Uh, he does have a book coming out called Mountain Folk, mm-hmm. and it is available on Amazon. John, thank you so much for joining the Carolina Cabinet. Thank you, much. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Bye-bye. Sir.
The cancel culture is not welcome here. You're listening to the Conservative Carolina Cabinet, Eastern North Carolina's most offensive talk show to the freeloading left. And welcome back to the Carolina Cabinet. My name is Nat Robertson. I'm your host. With us today in the cabinet is Pastor Joshua Goodman. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning sir. Mr. John Henley. Uh, John Henley. Jimmy Henley Jr. Who is John Henley? Don Henley. <laughs> I stole one of his signs one time. <laughs> and Mr. J. Antoine Minor. Here, here, my good man. Here, here, sir. And uh, we are fortunate to have the Doctor of Sports with us, Dr. Earl Vaughn. A sports writer and editor for over four decades. A renowned print journalist and communicator in the world of sports. And perhaps the most knowledgeable sports journalist in the Eastern Hemisphere. The Carolina Cabinet has awarded this individual an honorary Ph.D. in sports knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Earl Vaughn, Jr. Dr. Vaughn! I am I am honored and floored. <laughs> Get yourself off that floor, sir. Man, there's so much going on in the world of sports. Oh yes, uh, it's a crazy time of year. We've got uh, you know all kinds of seasons wrapping up. Of course, we've got our convoluted uh, high school seasons uh, still going on. A couple of them that are going to run deep into the month of June for the. Uh, public schools private schools are pretty much wrapped up everything now but uh the public schools because they redid their schedules because of covid have uh, a couple of sports that are still in process so one way way out of season which is high school wrestling they definitely are not used to competing at this time of year except in the summertime workout right they're not in competitive matches at all but uh, you've got baseball which is a little bit used to, to this time of year at least as far as the summertime with the uh, Legion Baseball and the various summer leagues going on. And then we've got our track and field athletes also. We'll still be competing uh, well deep through the month of June. So uh, Now the Woodpeckers look like we're off to a good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they, they stumbled around a little bit, but they had a, a good homestand uh, you know, with Augusta this, uh, this past week. Now they're going to be on the road for uh, a couple weeks here. Uh, excuse me, I said Augusta last week. That's not right. They uh, played playing Canapolis last week. Augusta this week, yeah, they've been down there and uh, – I think they've gone one and one uh, so far, and of course they're uh, in action again tonight down there in Augusta, and we'll be heading on for another uh, road series uh, on the way back to Fayetteville after two weeks on the road. So, yeah, busy time for everybody, absolutely. Well, we're excited to see where they end up by the end of the season. And then um, I pulled a couple of clips that uh, that I wanted to let's talk about. Um, first of all, the the one that's probably about a week or so old is this young lady in Durham. Uh, who had the hair beads. Uh, have you been tracking that? Yeah, and it's not going away uh, because uh, I sat in on a Zoom press conference this morning uh, at, a, the na- at a national level uh, hmm. dealing with this. Uh, for those who haven't heard, uh, just the, the, the brief summary of what happened, a young lady by the name of Nicole Piles, uh, who is a teenager at Hillside High School in Durham, was told by the umpires at her softball game that she had to remove the beads from her hair or she would not be allowed to participate. And so she and her teammates wound up chasing down a pair of scissors and physically cutting the beads out of her hair so she could participate. 
uh, the umpires from, uh, decided to enforce that rule, and, and this is where I did a little bit of research, and I talked with my good friend uh, Neil Bowie, who has been the supervisor of baseball and softball officials in this area for, uh, for many, many years, and is a former behind-the-plate umpire himself. And Neil, when I first called him to talk about this rule, he kind of rolled his eyes because <laughs> here and on the phone when we were discussing this is one of those rules that somehow got in the rule book uh, back about 2012 uh, was when this rule was passed. And its intent probably was good when it was first put in there. Right. Uh, it was put in there as a safety precaution because of, I guess, the remote possibility that a player might get struck in the head by a ball and the beads would be pressed deeper into the scalp, hmm. possibly causing more serious lacerations. Makes sense. There is also the possibility that depending upon the way the beads were placed and that the hair was styled, that it could cause a helmet not to properly fit. And all of the base runners and the batters are required to wear helmets in high school softball as a, as a safety measure. So there was a possibility that the rule came in under, under that situation. But when I told Neil about this, he said, and, and he, he said that I could, I could actually quote him on this on the show, the problem with a rule like this is while it may appear to be good on the surface, you're not taking into consideration you know, personal style preferences. You know, ladies think right. they may like to yeah. you know, with their hair and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it could be in certain situations. Uh, a, a cultural issue, yeah. uh, which which is not being uh, given proper attention to, but sometimes somewhere when they get in the room and they make these rules, somebody with a passion or a heated interest in it will make a very strong case and sway the other members of the rules committee to their way of. Mm-hmm. And so, boom, it's in the rule book. Let me play this from Sports Illustrated. From public school saying it opposes unreasonable or biased restrictions on black women's hairstyles, adding, we believe the blanket ban on hair beads is culturally biased and problematic. We support our student, Nicole Piles, and believe this rule should be amended. The National Federation of State High School Associations, whose rules govern high school sports, say these regulations are ultimately about safety. The rule was never intended to address any kind of um, prohibition of a culture or ethnic group um, or even a hairstyle that might be uh, most comfortable for a participant. Obviously, risk minimization is still a concern, but where it's appropriate, we want to go ahead and make sure that a youth participant can play with the full identity being expressed well, there you go. Okay, was that Carissa Niehoff? Uh, now you're asking me something I don't know. That was taken straight <laughs> off of Sports <laughs> Illustrated. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll circle back. Yeah, yeah, we'll circle back on that. I, I, don't, I don't know who that was, sir. I heard, I listened to Ms. Niehoff. They held a national press conference this morning, and the bead issue was number one on the hit parade. I bet. Wow. We talked about And they announced this morning that the annual meeting of the Softball Rules Committee is usually held in the summertime. And so within the next month or so, they will be sitting down, and she said that, yes, indeed, the topic of beads in the hair will be on the agenda for them to deal with. And she repeated basically some of the things that you just said there, that uh, this is, you know, a cultural issue, and they need to take that into consideration. Absolutely. She mentioned also the the, the head garb that... uh, 
Muslim women wear it. That was a problem in some other sports, and they've had hmm. to deal with rule changes to uh, to deal uh, to, to permit uh, that to be worn. So it, it's definitely a tricky area when when you get into messing around with fashion, style, and cultural things. And uh, Doctor Vaughn, let me jump in. Pastor Josh here. Now, I mean, I, I get the safety issue, but does it apply to things like barrettes? You know, uh, other other hair, other other, other things you would put in your hair. No, and that's what's weird. The rule is different on that. The rule allows bobby pins. Yeah, yeah. And hair clips. Yeah, then I can, I mean, I get it because it's, it's, if one applies it, it should apply to all. The other one, though, the, the, the rule that was first written it initially prohibited plastic visors, bandanas, and the hair beads. And one thing I want to make clear this is not a North Carolina rule. There were several stories I read that made the, uh, the inference that this rule was a North Carolina rule. That is not the case. The rules for sports are established by the National Federation of State High School Associations, mm-hmm. which is based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Carissa Niehoff, the lady I mentioned earlier, is the head of that organization currently. And their basic job is to write the rule books for just about every high school sport that's out there. So they're the folks that put these rule books together. And when there's a problem with the rule, it has to go back to them in Indianapolis to deal with it. It's not something that the individual states can legislate on because they buy the rule books from Indianapolis and sure. they're the ones they use in their games. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got a question. This is Jay Antoine Minor. I'm I'm I guess I'm thinking about this um from the safety standpoint. Um do we sacrifice safety um for culture? And then my question then becomes do we Say there's a kid who plays and, and the rules are changed and beads are allowed. I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit. And then an injury occurs as a result of the beads. Where does the liability of that fall? Uh, that, that's an excellent question. And, and I have to be, I, I, I'm not, uh, I definitely don't have a legal mind. And I think there, you could probably find someone out there who would try to pursue that as a legal argument. And that's one reason why sometimes rules like this get acted upon because they look at it in the eyes of, okay, what could happen if a situation, just like you said, comes about and we don't have a rule and somebody gets suffers a, a life-threatening or a potentially fatal right. injury because they get injured in this way, are we going to get sued? Yeah, yeah are we held liable? Product of our litigious society that we sure. live in today. So that's where a lot of these rules come from is just being... I guess in some cases you might say overly protective and saying, well, we got to put this rule in there just so we don't get sued. Dr. Vaughn, this is Jimmy. Um, change pace a little bit. I'm a big NFL guy, so I want to take you there, the big news in the NFL. What's the NFL? Uh, <laughs> I, I, Sit down, Antoine. Sit down. <laughs> Antoine, you got, got, we'll talk food in a minute. Um, Tim Tebow. Jacksonville. Come on. And and before we stop, you know, just for me, I want to talk about the great Pittsburgh Steelers and what you feel about their draft. But we'll we'll go to Tim Tebow first. (laughs) You know, I have not ever understood the whole Tim Tebow issue. This guy is doing what he wants to do with his life. He loves sports. He obviously wants to play at some level somehow. And if that's what he wants to do and somebody wants to let him play, that's their decision. That's between them and him. I don't have a dog in the hunt, and I don't really care. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't get all the fascination, and particularly all the people in my profession who have just lined up to say, well, you need to go home and give it up and play bingo or badminton or something <laughs> to, 
to save your life. All right, so I've got another clip for you about Tebow. Yeah, news alert to all the people crying about Tim Tebow uh, signing with the Jaguars. There's nepotism in the NFL, and I don't know how else to say it or how else to break it to people, but they should be used to this. We see it all the time. Head coaches hire their sons. Head coaches hire their friends or their cronies. And guys that are really bad with bad winning records, they still get jobs in the NFL because the familiarity aspect of it really takes some precedent or, or really takes some importance or significance with who gets hired or fired or get, gets a job. And, and that's just the way it is. And it might not be fair, but that's life in the NFL, right? And and because of the connection with Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow, yeah, he's going to get a shot to make the team. And i got to be honest with you, there's really not a whole lot of competition on that tight end de- depth chart for Tim Tebow. So we'll see what happens in training camp. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of Tebow yeah, being I a him, being yeah. a Florida Gator. Yeah. I like T-Bone Stick too. <laughs> well, I think it's and a coach's Gator, right? decision at the end of the day because if Tebow doesn't work out, that comes back on the coach. He knows Tebow very well, so he knows what he's getting into. Let the man run the team. Well, that's what I'm saying. And and if he if you got nobody else, no nobody else who is qualified to to take that tight end position, I'm like, you know. But it is around Tebow, and there's always a little bit of controversy because of his yeah, fame and all of those things. Yeah. Doctor, no, I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, yes, there's nepotism not just in the NFL. There's nepotism <laughs> everywhere. I mean, well, now we got folks bringing up uh, Kaepernick saying, "Why isn't he getting a chance if Tebow is?" And you know, I'm hearing that in some of the sports media, and I don't even see the comparison. Well, you know, again, Kaepernick is a completely different situation. Uh, I, you know, I hate to say this, but you know, there's there's nepotism in the NFL. There's also politics in the NFL. Yeah. And I certainly am convinced that uh, that's got a lot to do with why Colin Kaepernick has not, not has not touched a football field since the whole uh, kneeling incident, because there, there are a lot of people in the NFL in positions of authority that were very sensitive about that, and so I'm, I'm not surprised. I am surprised that the commissioner has not stepped in at some point and made some kind of statement about uh, collusion on the part of the owners that refused to give Kaepernick another chance, but I guess uh, he enjoys his job too much to, to take a risk of doing that, <laughs> right. yeah, I'm just right. as quick as anything else. So you know, I'm sure that's a factor there. But so, no, it, it's just part of the, part of the business world. You, you just have to deal with things like that, unfortunately. What else are we missing in the world of sports, Doctor? Uh, well, you know, we, we've hit pretty much the highlights. I, I will mention. Uh, I talked about baseball earlier. Up, uh, we've got uh, two uh, local baseball teams that are doing really, really well right now. Uh, Terry Sanford, uh, which of course has strung together a numerous uh, conference championship over the last several years. Yeah. And then you've got uh, a Cape Fear team, uh, which is actually in its first full season under Jared Britt. He took over the program last year, but uh, only got in about five, six games before the pandemic shut everybody down. So uh, they're also off to a great start. Uh, unfortunately, though, because of the way they've done the schedule uh, due to the pandemic, they're having everybody play uh, the same team in, in back-to-back games uh, each week of the season so that you – that way they're hoping to, I guess, limit the possibility of any kind of a spread or anything if it gets out of hand all of a sudden. And unfortunately, uh, Terry Sanford and Kate Fear are not going to meet each other until the final week of the regular season oh, wow. uh, in the early part of June. So we're going to have to wait uh, quite a few weeks uh, before we'll be able to actually see them uh, take each other on. But that should be a, a really interesting showdown when they finally play each other. 
Have I heard talk? I feel like I have. There's a summer college league we have here now. Uh, yes, I don't know any specifics on it, but I believe that it's uh, going to be taking place at the old uh, uh, the Riddle Stadium. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who the teams are uh, that are going to constitute it. Uh, I assume you know be guys you know, as with with the previous college summer leagues that we've had here, just uh, mixed and matched from uh, various college programs around the state. But yeah, I have heard uh, something to that effect that there is going to be some kind of summer league out at uh, at Riddle Stadium. That'll be neat to actually be using Riddle for for baseball again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to go out to a game again. Absolutely. So let's talk. Uh... Oh, sorry, let's talk about high school sports because I know that uh, uh, Cape Fear and Terry Sanford aren't the only ones in the news right now. Well, I want to mention briefly uh, some uh, action that's been going on uh, with uh, the NCHSAA that we had talked about earlier um, with the, uh, the state legislature. And uh, there was another meeting today of the uh, Joint Committee on Government Operations, and it was basically a continuation of what we heard uh, a few weeks ago when they first met. Uh, they are raising numerous questions uh, about the uh, High School Athletic Association, uh, the way it's operated, and particularly uh, the way it uses its money, uh, specifically, their complaint is they don't feel that it is spending enough of its money. Uh, they have a, about $41 million, but the problem is not all of that money is liquid. Uh, about half of that is tied up in the actual physical building, which is obviously not something that they could sell off. And some of the other money is in endowed funds that can only be spent uh, uh, for specific things. So they're not rolling in cash like the, uh, some of the members of the legislature uh, are making it sound like. But it has become abundantly clear uh, from the, the comments that are coming out of this committee that they are definitely going to take some kind of action uh, against the high school association uh, to force the issue. Uh, I think at this point it's incumbent upon the association to reach out and see if they can reach some kind of a compromise uh, before the legislature takes uh, some really severe punitive steps and does something that could potentially hurt high school yeah, athletes no across this state. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Hey, Dr. Vaughn, thank you so much for joining us on the Carolina Cabinet again. In the room is yes. Pastor Joshua Goodman, Jimmy Henley Jr., and J. Antoine Minor. Who knows nothing about sports, and, <laughs> but a lot about and, food. <laughs> and on the telephone is Dr. Earl Vaughn Jr. That's the quietest you've been yet. <laughs> It is. it is. I stay in my lane. <laughs> Earl, thank you again so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, and thanks again for joining the Carolina Cabinet today. Uh, again, a, a very um, heartful thank you to our uh, our guest, uh, Dr. Earl Vaughn, Jr., the guru of sports. Uh, yes, the man. Yes. And uh, John Hood, uh, formerly of the John Locke Foundation. He is currently with... Uh, he is currently uh, with the Pope Foundation. The, just Pope, produced the John the, Williams Pope John Foundation. William Pope Foundation. Yes. And the book, Mountain Folk. Wow, that's yes. amazing. Yeah. yeah, so go ahead and get George on Amazon Washington now. And get your, <laughs> that's right. That was crazy. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, a special thanks to those guys for, uh, for joining us on the Carolina Cabinet today. Hey, please do us a favor. Take time to visit one of our commercial sponsors and let them know that you heard their message on the Carolina Cabinet. Feel free to send us a message, like us, share us on Facebook or your favorite social media outlet. We are at the Carolina Cabinet. Have a new presence also on Twitter. So uh, if you tweet, 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 come on over. Hey, until next time, we are the Carolina Cabinet. Yes, we are. Yes. Yep.